0: So this morning as we begin I want to uh, take just a couple of minutes to unpack a little bit about the folks or the people that we meet in our passage today and a little bit of background that, that I think is very important for us to understand to to understand not only what this story has to say to us but what it has to teach us today. And so as I do that I, I want to begin with Herod. I, it's important to understand that We have a lot of history about Herod, Herod the Great, as he sometimes is called. And Herod was a a very gifted administrator, and he was well known for a lot of the projects, building projects that he had. But also Herod was known as someone who was very irrational, um, vehemently obsessed with not losing power in the world. He's often called a king, but he was not a king. He was a tetrarch. And he ruled over one quadrant, a dusty quadrant in Jerusalem of the Roman Empire. Uh, But at the same time, he definitely allowed himself to, to gain wealth and power in that place of Jerusalem. His most famous legacy, and again, the reason we sometimes hear him called Herod the Great, is of those elaborate and beautiful buildings he left behind. He was not Jewish but one of the the things that he left behind in those days is he was credited for rebuilding the temple of Jerusalem. And it was an amazing thing to see, as we understand, with its white stones, its decorations, uh, visible for miles away, very impressive. And it was the center of much of the gospel story and Jesus's life, and um, it was something for which they were very proud of in Jerusalem. Even so, as I had mentioned, and one of the reasons you hear the passage say that once he word heard word of a new king being born, everyone was afraid. And for good reason. Herod was known for his vicious temperament. At any time he felt threatened of the, his rule being overthrown, he would take lives. And that included family and friends and even one of his spouses. Most infamously, he killed the entire family lineage of the Hasmoneans in his taking of Jerusalem. So it's important to know that this is the kind of man that the Magi come bearing news of a king being born in his midst and everyone was afraid. Now we don't know a lot about the particulars of the Magi individually or who was part of that party with them. We only know the area they came from. They came from the east, Asia, Asia, most likely. And the word magi, or wise men, as it's translated, is understood as astronomers, or our seers, or those who interpret dreams. And so that gives us a little bit of knowledge of their background and perhaps their profession. Whatever or however we understand them, we know that the appearance of a star, though, led them to Jerusalem. And they interpreted that to say that there had now been a king of the Jews born, and they were going to go pay homage Now, they had not worshipped Adonai. They were not people of Israel. They were Gentiles and foreigners. And somehow they knew and anticipated that this Lord would be the Lord of all earthly lords. That something cosmic had happened in the coming of the Christ child. And now, what might give you pause as you hear this morning... When they say the king of the Jews, perhaps it makes you feel a little unsettled. If you're familiar with the story of Matthew, you may remember of hearing that at some other point. This king of the Jews, and you're right. In Matthew 27, 12, we see that very same phrase again. But in that story, that will be a sign hanging above Christ's head while he suffers and dies on the cross. It's a foreboding phrase. And it preempts all that is about to happen in this story and in the life of Christ. It reminds us that Herod will not be the only one threatened by the lordship of Jesus Christ. Soberly, David Keck reminds us that the manifestation of God to the Gentile nations represented by these magi, it is something to celebrate, and it is. As the human exploration of God's creation is something to be excited but the fact that this story of following a sign in the heavens also leads to the powers and principalities of racism and murder should not surprise us or be missed to us either. As the hymn we sing this morning, which rightly tells us, Jesus will receive not only the gold of royalty, not only will he receive the frankincense representing that he is a deity. He also receives the gift of myrrh, a symbol of mortality and death. Christ is the king of the cosmos, the king, the God of the universe, but also the sacrifice that a broken and a sinful humanity desperately needs. So without knowing it, these magi have just put into motion a very difficult story, and they have made Jesus enemy number one, for Herod. So the Magi had been following this star. But it almost feels like they didn't follow it far enough. It almost feels like they stopped too soon by going to Jerusalem before going to Bethlehem. Why did the star lead them there? Or did the star lead them there is one of the questions many have asked. Maybe it led them to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem, but some have wondered, well maybe Jerusalem just stood there so large and, and obvious that everyone would have thought, well that's where a king's going to be born. There's where the current residing king lives. Perhaps there is where this king of the Jews will be born. Not in some small hamlet called Bethlehem. Herod hears this news. He asked when the star had risen and he realized no child in my family has been born during that time. So he knows his and feels his rather power is being threatened and his death dealing scheming begins. So he calls for the priest and the scribes to to read the scriptures to find out where the Messiah of the Jews was supposed to be born and they discover Bethlehem. So he sends these magi, these wise men, go on your way, go find, the, go find this child. We told you where he's going to be, and, and when you find him, let me know, I'd love to pay a visit. What a chilling comment from Herod. Because we know behind his planning, behind his fear, would be the death of many innocent children. Oh, If they could have only just gone to Jerusalem, um, to Bethlehem, and, and bypassed Jerusalem altogether, it would make for a far easier story today. Oh, if the things we see in this world, if only they had not happened this week, if only during the 12 days of Christmas, if just that, the best of humanity might shine in our world. Oh, if it would. But it has not. We have seen these days disturbing and things that are telling, and I do mean the events in Washington, D.C. We have seen fear drive hatred of racism. We have seen the perpetuation of the myth of white dominance. We have seen acts of violence towards strangers. We have seen the death-dealing results of making political enemies. We have seen images of faces twisted in anger. We've seen symbols of Christianity in the American flag mixed with guns and nooses, and it is heartbreaking. And all of this during the worst week of a global pandemic. But there's something that's bothered me this week, perhaps as much, if not more. It's the image of young people and children among the crowd. There's one particular image that keeps coming to me and back to me and it's an image of a crowd and everyone's looking in the same direction, faces contorted, fists in the air, but often the top right picture of that screen is is the face of a teenage boy. There's no expression, you can't tell what he's thinking or feeling, he's just watching. He's almost looking at the camera, but he's not looking like everyone else, it's different and he stands out to me. He looks like a student among teachers, and he is. He's learning. Can you remember those times as a parent or a teacher or a coach, whatever that may be, when the young person that you have in your life makes you cringe by what they say or do? I don't mean necessarily always bad things, but that probably is when it cringes the most. And we cringe not because of what's been done or what's been said, but we realize, oh my goodness, they're watching me. It's when that child repeats something I said that perhaps, oh, did I say that? Did I I do that? Did I act that way? Oh, what am I teaching this child? I have felt that this week. The agonizing and the heartbreak of what we see, it did not just appear recently. We are seeing things that have been learned for generations. Generations. And at the intersection of power and politics, religion and science and human nature, once again we have seen how violent that can become. And if we honestly face this, we learn that we must unlearn some things. As one person once said to me, sometimes we know the wrong things. We have an obligation as a church at such times To name the evils for what they are and as they present themselves. In our baptism, we recognize evil has sway in us. It has sway in our world. And we confess at our baptism that when we see forms of evil, we will stand against it and we have seen its forms. In front of God and each other, we say we renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness. Reject the evil powers of this world and repent of our sin. We say that we accept the freedom and power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. And whatever forms they present themselves, they have been present. These are the days for which this baptismal vow was meant to speak to us. And this is why we must always remember our baptism. And let me say with all my heart on these Sundays, these are perplexing for you, pastors. Pastors. I know full well that I am not preaching to those who stormed capitals. I am not preaching to those, anyone in my circle that I know wishes physical harm on anyone, political or not. In truth, I deeply want to preach. I deeply want to preach to those who have been part of what we see. And if you happen to be listening this morning, I simply ask, seek the better angels within you. Even so, all of us are teaching, whether we know it or not in this world, all of us knowing that whatever position we find ourselves, wherever your realm of influence is, let's make the most, let's do what we can to teach the right things. And as Kyle alluded to in the children's moment today, we lean on the scriptures and the scriptures remind us that our star is Christ, that is our guiding light. Sometimes, like the Magi, we we stop short of reaching Bethlehem, right? Christ's star leads us to become a united community of fellowship and love, but sometimes along the way we stop short and we begin to settle for a narrow idea of who belongs. The star of Christ leads us to love friend and foe, yet sometimes along the way we stop short and we decide who is or is not deserving of our love. Christ's star points us towards seeing that he drew people of every nation, of every walk. Yet sometimes we fall short and we begin to believe that God loves us more or our nation more than others. Christ's star leads us to you words that build people up and to bring hope in the world, but sometimes we fall short and we tear down instead. Yeah, sometimes we don't make it to Bethlehem soon enough. I wonder, when these Magi went home, knowing what lay behind them, what, knowing what laid in front of them, what did they feel? How do you leave the truth of the moment. They've worshipped the king, but they know that Herod's anger has been stirred. Maybe they felt a little bit like some of us do. Maybe feeling like we can't do enough, or maybe we feel a little guilty these days. We haven't done enough. Let me say this. Guilt will never help us. Guilt is not a fruit of the spirit. Shaming will do nothing but reinforce us in the wrong things within us and between us. We see too much of that these days. Instead, we must look within ourselves. We must look to see where we might be living, contrary to the Christ's ways, to the star that guides us. We must see where we are dividing instead of welcoming. And I agree with our bishop's word this week wholeheartedly, that we need more than words, we need more than eloquent words and statements. We need to act and live differently. This epiphany I'm trying to preach from the basic truth of what the church is and that the church is always a place when we are at our best that we're making lives better and changing the world. Christ called the church into being to be a place of hospitality and love in what is often a chaotic world, and we know that, don't we? So now we know our purpose these days. It's to be hospitable, and welcoming, and loving in the chaos. And I'm working for the presumption, and I truly believe that we all agree that we want people to know us by our ability to love one another. That's how we want to be known. And Today reminds us that sometimes we stop too soon Sometimes we must go a little further. But we also know that in our falling is short, that that is not the end of the story. We know how to get back on the proverbial horse. It's why confession precedes communion. It's why we teach young people how to do the acts of prayer. If you're not sure what the acts of prayer is, I encourage you to learn it and teach it to your children. It's essentially an acronym on a model and, and a rhythm of prayer of AC and TS. A stands for adoration or acclamation. Adoration is, is what we do. When we enter worship. We, we, we bow and we kneel and we give glory to God because we have stepped into a divine presence. Whether we are worshiping or praying on our knees by ourselves. C is the confession and I'll come back to that in depth in a moment but confession reminds us that sin lives within us and among us and unless we name it it will name us T is thanksgiving that our prayers must acknowledge the giftedness and the bounty for which God gives us we can be thankful for the basic things as food and shelter and clothing and love of family and then S is supplication it's now that we have confessed, now that we have adored God and, and been thankful, we, our hearts are in a better place to ask for God to guide us. We're in a place to ask God to help us, how we help such a hurting world. But i got to be honest with myself this week, and perhaps you too, I often find that I generally confess without specifically confessing. Maybe you can raise your hand with me. We confess, but have we really named it? We get to the grace too quick sometimes. So I want to give you five things to consider these days that might be helpful. Five good questions so we don't move too fast past that sea of confession. First, number one, what are my words and actions and encouragements teaching these days? Am I dividing, demeaning, or dismissing? Or am I lifting up? Number two: Where have I used my faith in Christ to promote my own agenda, political or religious? Number three: Where I, have I ignored or used words that are racist, jokes or statements, when I should have refrained, or spoken up? Number four. Where have I spread lies or gossips instead of directly and honestly and lovingly about those I disagree with? And number five, where have I failed to be Christ in a world that desperately needs a witness of Christ today? When the Magi left Jerusalem, Jerusalem, The scriptures tell us they had to go home a different way. Now that means that this was the halfway point of their journey and now they had to go back home, but now they had to go home a different way, a longer way, a different way. Not the way they came, but different. And I pray today as we consider who we are, that you too have encountered the living Christ today. And I don't know what change that means for you but I do know that when one encounters Jesus it's changed and when we are changed the whole rhythm of our life changes too. So may we be changed away from anything that looks like the wrath of Herod and may we be moved towards the love of Christ but may we not do it for our benefit. May we do it for that young person in that picture who's watching and learning. Thanks be to God. God amen